Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah. And you are listening to a bonus episode of You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, two cinephiles compare the best movie soundtracks of all time. Micaiah, we have a lot of rules for this one. So let's Mm -hmm. qualify what we mean when we say best soundtracks. Right. First of all, we're not talking about movie scores. So we're not going to, so John Williams is not going to be anywhere on here. We're not going to talk about Star Wars, Raiders, Jaws, Jurassic Park, because we're not talking about film scores, right? We're not going to get Bernard Herman, right? Everyone's favorites, you know, so just, you can't be mad at us because that's not, that, that, that is a different list that we will make further down the road. And the reason why this is a bonus episode and what kind of makes these fun for us is because we're going to be talking about albums that we might not otherwise talk about. In the last season, we did Purple Rain. So Purple Rain, we don't have to put on this list. Like, we know that we love it. And next season, um, I believe we'll we'll be talking about Superfly. Mm -hmm. Chris Mayfield, right? So there's kind of no obligation to talk about it here. Um, There are some other kind of landmark soundtracks that mm-hmm. could come up in later seasons, Saturday Night Fever, the harder they come, right? Mm-hmm. So this is really our chance to talk about some soundtracks that need a little bit of extra love, right? We're also not going to feel the obligation to talk about artists that we've already talked about. So what I mean by that is, of course, Help and Hard Day's Night are two of the best movie soundtracks ever, but we've covered the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And they somehow come up every other episode. We've done Tom Petty, so we're not going to include She's the One soundtrack which we both love. Absolutely. And it's so close to wildflowers anyway. Um, So there's really no need to, you know, go back to that territory. So what we're really talking about here are compilations, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Compiled by the director or music supervisor or whoever, right? Needle drops in movies. Okay. What we're also talking about is the actual soundtrack. Okay. So we're not talking about, all of the list of songs that appear in the movie. We're talking about what became either the CD or the record around the time that the movie was released. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you talk about like American graffiti that had multiple soundtracks released, because there's so much music in there, right? Uh, you'd be tempted to say American graffiti, right? But perhaps maybe the soundtrack doesn't have, all of the ones that you want on there. And I think for us, it'd be cheating if we said, oh, like both volumes or all the volumes of the American Graffiti soundtrack, right? That's cheating just a little bit. So, Or or to do the same, you know, famous, uh, almost famous recently, they did the same thing because there was the original right. almost famous soundtrack. And then uh, just recently in the last year, they've kind of corrected that by releasing a more expansive kind of, double version of the almost famous soundtrack that includes more of the songs that are featured in the movie that did not originally make the soundtrack. Yeah. They, there's the sound, there's the original soundtrack for almost famous. And then there's like the indie record store version of the soundtrack, the target version of the soundtrack. And then there's this all inclusive big box set that has everything that's in the movie. That's cheating for us. Okay, mm-hmm. so that, that is off the table. Otherwise, like, of course that would be, probably on our list there's just so much good music in there uh so we but we want to have a little more fun with it so that's where we are that's what we're doing rob anything you want to add to that 
So the only other thing that I would mention is my list will include one of my favorite movie soundtracks is one that I actually think will probably get nominated by me in the third or fourth season of our show. Mm -hmm. There is no way given your disdain for the, given your disdain for the genre, there's no way I think you would ever nominate this album. So I'm including it in my list, even though it will later be nominated by me because I can't see us ever talking about it in the show, given that you and I do it together. Yeah. I thought I knew what you were talking about. So you said I had disdain, but we'll see when we get there. Um, The other rule that we have is that it can be original songs for a movie, Mm -hmm. but that does not mean right. That it is a movie that has been adapted from like a Broadway show. That's cheating. Mm. So like West side story off the table. Right. Obviously just like bulletproof songs, right. Great soundtrack, but comes from a even more famous show potentially. So, um, and then of course I kind of allude to that when I talked about purple rain and Superfly mm. and shaft and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that was implied. So compilations, Right, these great needle drops and songs that were made for the movie, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of those soundtracks typically have both anyway. I, I, well, at least probably the, for between the two of us, there's probably a bit of that, a little bit of both. So yeah, I, I think probably the Graduate is is the when we think about all time great movie soundtracks, yeah. songs songs that are. A, albums that are a combination of songs written by that artist for the movie and, and work that they've already done that is included essentially as a compilation. I think the graduate soundtrack with Simon and Garfunkel is probably the best example of that. I don't know that that is going to show up in either one of our lists because we're limiting this to just five albums. Obviously that's a great all time, great soundtrack. Um, It's just not a top five soundtrack. Yeah. And and we'll talk about, Paul Simon and mm-hmm. and or Simon and Garfunkel eventually, you know, so there's kind of no obligation to kind of to go yeah. there. Absolutely. Now there will be, because we're talking about albums that many of them are, are really functioning as compilations. There mm-hmm. will be artists on these albums that we have covered before. So we're not saying we we're not doing it. We're trying to limit albums that are by a single artist so like we said, if, if it's, if it's Beatles, we're not, you know, we're not going to do that. Um, again, for the graduate Simon and Garfunkel, we believe that we're going to be talking about Simon and Garfunkel or Paul Simon in the upcoming seasons. And so we didn't want to take that off the table as well, because as much as Simon and Garfunkel have great stuff, we don't think the graduate soundtrack is their best album together. Right. All right. Well, that's a whole lot of rules. And it wouldn't be an episode with Makai and I without a lot of rules because, you know, what fun is making a list if you don't first give yourself a bunch of rules? It's it's not hard to tell at all that Makai and I grew up in a church for as much as we love rules, but you heard them all now. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to take turns starting with our uh, starting with album number five. We're going to go five down to number one. And then after we do that, we're going to share with you for both of us, the hardest album it was to leave off of this list. So we're going to take a quick break and let you hear from today's sponsor anchor. And then we'll be back with Makai and I's favorite movie soundtracks. 
I'll start by saying that my number one is locked as my number one and really two through five can appear in really any order and I'd be okay with it, to be honest. Uh, that being said, my number five is the 2009 movie Adventureland. Adventureland. Um, yes. This is a indie movie starring Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart. Yes. Um, about an employee of a uh, amusement park called called Adventureland, and uh, in many ways, this was an experience that you lived out after grad school, just like the the main character of this movie. So it's not surprising to me at all that you have a great affinity for this movie. What do you love about this soundtrack? Yeah, all those things are true about. Uh, my love for the movie uh, painfully relevant uh, to me, but even before I liked it, even before it was relevant to me, because I came out 2009 and I wasn't a grad, I was just graduating high school and I already liked it. And then I kind of caught up to it and I was like, well, this movie's great. But uh, the soundtrack is also great for me because uh, it exposed me to Big Star and The Replacements and The Velvet Underground and Lou Reed. These are kind of like, names and bands I had heard of before. And then you, and then I'm watching that movie and then going back and looking at the soundtrack. Oh, like that's what the velvet underground sounds like. Like that's awesome. Like that's here. She comes now is in that soundtrack, but not, well, it's in the movie, but not in the soundtrack, but uh, pale blue eyes is uh, I'm in love with a girl by big stars on there, but then other just like eighties, big giant kind of eighties classics, you know, uh, Amadeus, is in there um but also uh you know just like heaven by the cure you know these kind of undeniable uh mega hits modern love by bowie you know it's it it helps me kind of understand who i would be and what i would be like if i lived in a different time and Mm. i'm someone who likes to play that game someone who studies history and teaches history to an extent i do try to what you know think about and wonder what would my place be in the 1980s or 70s and 60s? But it, it was the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I kind of, it wasn't hard for me to kind of think, what would I be like as an adult in those times? For some reason, that wasn't ever really hard to imagine. But the 80s, I was always like, uh, it just seems so lame for to me for some reason. As much as I like, you know, so much of the music, but watching them, like, oh, okay. Now I think I understand, like, who my people would be in the eighties and what I would be doing. And, you know, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing, uh, but that's kind of what that movie did. And that soundtrack. Great soundtrack, a wonderful compilation of music. And, and one of the things that I think we're going to really see as a theme for both of our lists with, with a few exceptions, but I think for the most part, as you and I look at these albums, we are really looking for, um, kind of the evocative mixtape. Like that's really what we're going for here. Like what is the, what's the mixtape here that uh, really helps draw out what we think of a character or a movie, or, or maybe we just love the way that, you know, the, the music director or sound, you know, the sound engineer, whoever it was who was responsible in the movie for picking out the music, the, the choices they made, you know, the deep cuts they chose, you know, the original, uh, you know, the original recording they went with, you know, something about 
this unique collection of songs. Um, and for, for, for two people who have a, a podcast devoted to great albums, our, our album lists are really one artist, one artist and so often one artist in one particular kind of era of their career. And so the beauty, of course, for a soundtrack is that you have, you know, music from all over, from, from many different artists, from different eras altogether. Um, you, can, you can put that together in any way you like. So all that to be said, Micaiah, what's your must-listen song on Adventureland? This is really tough because this is one that, like, because of the movie, like so many of my favorite bands and so many things I enjoy is because of the soundtrack to this movie. Um, and it's hard to kind of divorce, when you look at the songs in this way, kind of hard to divorce the songs from the scene that they're in. So you're also kind of picking not just a song, but a scene. But I'm going to go with Unsatisfied by The Replacements. I love it. My first album, uh, so my, my number five album, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, th- I think um, I could narrow this list down to 10. And once we narrowed it down to the 10 soundtracks, um, the truth is, is, is those 10 could have appeared. So for the five that, are, that I'm not including on this list, I could have easily swapped out all five of those with the other five that are part of my 10. So, so narrowing down and kind of limiting the 10 down to five was very, very difficult. So for the first album that I'm going to name, I'm going to say baby driver, which will be the most recent album that'll be on my list. Um, I just love this album. I mean, this is the classic compilation movie soundtrack. Um, and it's, it's everything that you want it to be. Obviously there are great song selections in the movie. Um, and I'm so pleased that all of the best choices made in the movie are in the soundtrack. Yeah, I know the, the movie is great for having him like have different iPods filled with different music for different driving scenarios, timing out heist based on songs and everything. It's just like, yeah, that's how I time, how I get to work, get to the grocery store. You know, like, I, I get this guy. I get this. Uh, but there's a lot to love on that, Rob. So I'm, uh, I don't envy you in having to make this choice, but what would be your favorite song then from this soundtrack? Because there's a lot to love from, you know, T-Rex, Simon Garfunkel, and obviously a lot of really great mm-hmm. soul records, like deep cut soul tracks. Yeah, yeah I mean, the you've got... Um, so, Unsquare Dance by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Um, 
a a kind of hidden gem of Beck's catalog, Deborah, off of um, uh, Vultures or Midnight, Midnight Vultures. But I think I'm gonna go with the Young MC song Know How. And if you loved rap in the mid to late '80s, Young MC is probably most famous for her song Bust a Move. But Know How is a great jam and so my choice from this album is going to be young mc's know how i dig it Ever made by man, I'm going into this mic written by this hand. I'm coming out of this mouth made by this tongue. I tell you now, my man, my name is Young. But so you think that this your destiny to get the best of me. But I suggest to be quiet, but don't even try from the east and west of me. Taking it and never breaking it, or even shaking it, grooving it and always moving it. Cause I'm not faking it. Pulling out rhymes like books off the shelf. Born in England, makes a hollow talk to go for myself. This is stone cold rhyming, no frills, no fluffs, and it's no accident that these rhymes sound tough. I'm going off, baby, there's no turning back. I'm on your TV, on your album cassette, and they track. And when the show is finally finished, I'll be taking my bow. My name is Young and yo, I got no how. You know what I'm saying? Mikhail, what's your fourth album? Uh, wildly different than my previous pick. Um, it's from what I think may have been... It, it could be the best comedy of that decade. Uh, Walk Hard, about Dewey Cox, right? I mean, it's, a, it's a pretty much a perfect comedy, a perfect parody. John C. Riley, you know, plays Dewey Cox. Uh, the pretty much riffs on every great musician biopic, you know, from walk the line, Ray, the doors, all that stuff, all those rock and roll mythologies. And it, it's, it's so surprising to me that movies like that still get made knowing mm-hmm. that walk hard exists, you know, so it, it's really ruined every kind of rock biopic that's come out after it because they still use this formula, even though walk hard just pissed all over it. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, there are a lot of songwriters in there who do a lot of great work. It's really funny. Uh, a lot of stuff. I mean, the, you get all kinds of stuff. I mean, you get, um, so in the, in the movie, right. Dewey goes through a bunch of musical phases to kind of cover all of rock history. So you get kind of the sweet kind of doo-wop take my hand kind of song. Um, but also get the, the moment where white people are really appropriating uh, what was then called race music. So you have a song called love the Negro man that Dewey Cox sings, uh, which of course is meant to make you kind of cringe. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, it's all done for comedic effect. And so it's, it's, it's aware of itself. And so, um, yeah, big kind of like Benny King, Phil Spector kind of stuff like a life without you is no life at all. Uh, which is just an incredible song. Like that one's like not even very funny. Like it just like is a really great pop song. Um, and the Dylan parody is wonderful called Royal Jelly. But, uh, <laughs> but my favorite, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who's listened to any episode of the podcast. 
Uh, my favorite song from it's probably called uh, Black Sheep, which is basically at this point in the movie, Dewey Cox is making his Brian Wilson like smile sessions transformation. And the song is actually co-written by Van Dyke Parks, who worked with Brian Wilson, a co-writer and arranger of the song. So it is very accurate. And also the kind of psychedelic Beatles stuff is in there too. Um, so I think it's just, you know, it's, it's as funny as it needs to be. And it's as, as good as, you know, what uh, like Paul and Brian Wilson were, you know, trying to do at mm-hmm. the time like that's what's kind of so impressive about it. it's like these are good songs they are hilarious but they're also just good songs and it makes the movie you know all that much better you know so so john c Riley doing the song black sheep is your selection i wasn't dreaming barely awake off to the grinder we strove not just a pleasing spilling of swill, just half of the kill. My vanishing memories, the paradise hill. What do I care? I'm in a field serene, miles and miles of solid green. For to feed the flock is a love. My next album uh, feels incredibly appropriate, not just for this list, but also for our podcast in general. And that's going to be the soundtrack to the movie High Fidelity. And if there was ever, if there, if there was ever a movie that was kind of the ethos of this podcast, it would be the high, it would be High Fidelity. And, and so it just felt appropriate that the High Fidelity soundtrack would be a part of our list. But you do, you get this really great collection of often forgotten deep cuts by by many artists so even even the artists that are incredibly well known that are on the high fidelity soundtrack you get these kind of lesser hits from them that really you know you feel like they should stand out you know feel like they should be given more love than they are but for all of the great songs in this soundtrack and, and maybe it makes the most sense given the context of the movie, but dry the rain by the beta band is, right. is the selection uh, from this, from this incredible album. Mm-hmm. And, and I think probably be just for the scene where you have John Cusack looking at a record store full of customers, he walks up to his coworker and says, I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the beta band. And he puts this song on. And uh, if you've ever had the pleasure of working in a record store, there's something truly wonderful about seeing someone come in, kind of noticing the areas they're going to in the store, kind of figure out, all right, what are they going to vibe on? And then you put an album on, you know, put, put something on, you put it on just loud enough that they can kind of, you know, and eventually they'll, Hey, what are we listening to? Oh, that's this. And, you know, we have a copy of it right here for you. So there's something there's something really great about that. So that that would be my choice. High fidelity for my next album. 
in Dry the Rain by the Beta Band is my choice. These are all right choices. This is a definition of my life. Lying in bed in the sunlight. Choking on the little tablet. Up to get in the hole to save a man. In the hole to save a man. Marks in the corner of the room. Junkyard phone and eyes of moon. I asked him time again. I didn't think this was going to go this way, but I have another soundtrack that is rooted in the 80s. Adventureland jumps around from the 60s, 70s, and and mostly 80s, but still kind of bounces around like how people do, you know. Uh, But this one is very firmly planted in the 80s. And that's the Wedding Singer soundtrack with Adam Sandler. Uh, this is one of the first DVDs we owned. Uh, so it's kind of a special movie to me in a in a very nostalgic way. But I think it's, as far as like Adam Sandler romantic comedies go, it's I think it's his best one still. I think it holds up really well um, if you allow romantic comedies to be silly and let people just jump on planes and, you know, win back somebody by having Billy Idol push you through a curtain to play your song that everyone cheers for, you know, if you, if you, if you'll allow for that, uh, then it's just like a really great romantic comedy, but it's also one with really great music. And the music is used in a way that sets a tone that is very different from other Adam Sandler movies. Like it, the, the soundtrack really elevates it to something that is much more interesting than clearly Billy Mass and happy Gilmore, but even stuff after like, like big daddy and Mr. Deeds, the, the soundtrack really makes the movie, but it, it does create kind of beats and rhythms that aren't in other Adam Sandler movies. Um, I'm thinking of like when Love My Way by the Psychedelic Furs comes on mm-hmm. or him listening to The Cure, you know, um, or Elvis Costello, Every Day I Write the Book coming on, like they're, or Blue Monday uh, by New Order. Like there are just, there's so many different tones that happen that are never again duplicated or replicated other Sandler. Yeah. So that's it. But I think that my, my favorite, of course it's tempting to say rapper's delight with the rapping grandma and um, even tempting to kind of flip the script and say the video killed the radio star cover um, from uh, president of the United States of America. It's a great cover. It's a really great cover. And it just reminds you that even though it's like an eighties soundtrack, but the movie is still very nineties. But I also want to pick this my favorite because there's there's a song on here that's kind of just like inexplicably like a song that I will forever love dearly for the rest of my life. Like I have like a like passionate love for this song. Pass the Duchy by Musical Youth. Okay. I think it's a perfect song. Like it's just I think the beginning is great. The rhythm section is great. Um I mean, the, the vocal melodies are great. Um, it, it was years before, like, I realized kind of like the, the sadness that's 
present on there. Um, yeah, no, there's there, there's just a groove and a rhythm. I mean, it's like reggae Frankie Lyman or reggae Jackson Five or, or something. You know what I mean? Like it just has that thing that just really, really excites me. It's I, I won't lie. It's it's an earworm for sure. And so now what's in my head, just because we're talking about it, there's a good chance now it'll be in my head for the next couple of weeks. As it should. Because, because, dun, 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 yep. My third album is the soundtrack to Marie Antoinette. Hmm. Um, the Sofia Coppola uh, Marie Antoinette, one of my favorite soundtracks. In again, a soundtrack that makes all the right decisions in terms of its 80s songs and also its kind of early 2000s songs. But for its 80s songs, it it goes almost all deep cuts. Other than I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow, you don't get any really huge hits. For the most part, you get the deep cut. Even on... So The Cure is... The Cure has two songs on this on this soundtrack. And Disintegration, by far, is The Cure's most, most famous, you know, best-selling album. Um, I think Disintegration is probably uh, the album that if we were ever going to seriously look at a Cure album, that would likely be the one. And even when you look at Disintegration, for all the songs that were released as singles on Disintegration, Sofia Coppola chooses Plain Song to use as one of the Cure selections. And the other one she chooses is an entirely B-side. I mean, so if you get the um, if you get the Cure collection of B-sides staring at the sea, uh, you'll get All Cats Are Gray, um, which is a great, you know, great talk. But again, you know, huge deep cut. And then you get this with, you know, Adam and the Ants. You get this with New Order. You get this with, uh, you know, Bow Wow Wow. You get the, the deeper cut aphrodisiac. But my favorite track on the Marie Antoinette soundtrack has to be the Susie and the Banshees song, Hong Kong Garden, um, which just sets the tone for this movie. It becomes, again, this kind of deep cut 80s track becomes the perfect setting for talking about, you know, the French royal family and ultimately the French Revolution in this very, very bright, very vivid, very colorful 80s song. 
Um, and it just, it, it's, it's such a unique and interesting choice. I think that this is one of those movies where the music choices are everything. Uh, the music choices take a story that could be very dated. It could, it, you know, it, if, if you're not careful, this is a movie that could seem like it was made by the BBC, but Sofia Coppola makes all the right music choices mm-hmm. in, in this movie. And the soundtrack just bears that out. Sofia Coppola, yeah, it's just one of those people who just is really great at putting together great soundtracks and great musical moments. Um, I mean, Lost in Translation, I'm forever indebted to her for turning me on to Just Like Honey by Jesus Mary Chain. Mm-hmm. And um, Scott Johansson choosing Brass and Pocket um, for her like karaoke scene. All, all great stuff. Like, just really great at delivering these great musical moments in movies. second pick I mean fourth pick number two on the list whatever um, someone who I think is is one of the best directors at, at putting together uh, music in movies especially at this phase in his career because um, my movie and soundtrack is Magnolia by Paul mm-hmm. Thomas Anderson great uh, movie phenomenal soundtrack um, you and I talked about this before we were recording Maybe, maybe some of Amy Mann's best work of her career is on this soundtrack. Yeah, and somehow, despite all the '80s stuff, uh, this is the first time Amy Mann's popping up because there's no uh, Till Tuesday. Uh, somehow, on uh, no Vo- Voices Carry, somehow isn't on Wedding Singer or Adventureland, even though it is one of those kind of great all-time '80s tracks. But here she is, Amy Mann. Um, Magnolia is my favorite movie. Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite filmmaker making movies since i've been born uh so there was just going to be a, a pta movie on this list you know uh it's, i mean starting with amy man's harry nelson cover the song one uh incredible absolutely incredible um the oscar nominated song save me right that appears at the end of the movie great uh john bryan on on the actual soundtrack you get one piece from john bryan's score which is also phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. Just a track called Magnolia um, finishes the soundtrack, which is great. You get two Super Tramp songs also on the soundtrack, mm-hmm. but they're great. And I, I love a soundtrack where he's like, I don't listen to Super Tramp. I don't like Super Tramp. All right. But then they appear on the soundtrack. And when they appear in this movie, I'm like, oh, wow. Do I love this? 
You know what I mean? And a, a really good movie and a really good soundtrack can can convince you that you love things that you really thought you had absolutely no interest in. Uh, but the, the use of those songs in the movie are really great. And even when they come up, I, I have the CD to this one. This is the first one that I have the CD now. I had the Wedding Singer soundtrack in the 90s. I have the Magnolia CD soundtrack now ready to go in the car. Uh, I can't do it a lot uh, because I can't cry and drive well at the same time. Um, because whenever it gets to Wise Up, which, spoiler, Wise Up is my favorite song on this album. Uh, can't, I, I'm, I'm never going to hear that song and not tear up. It, it has a hold on me that I can never shake. So I cannot, uh, I could not agree more with this, with this album pick. Um, and, and Magnolia is not in my five, but Magnolia is in my 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I share, when you and I first met in 2009, we, sh- we, one of the things we bonded over was our shared love for the movie Magnolia, which is my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. One of my, uh, probably top 20 favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Magnolia is, is a, I mean, it's a, it's an opus of a movie and there's a lot of people who think it's too long. There's a lot of people who don't understand the, um, the they do not understand. They don't understand the climax. They don't understand the break in the reality that happens during, during the climax. Um, again, the, the essentially that it turns into a music video, essentially at the two hour and 38 minute mark, there is something powerful about this movie though, that I've always loved. And this is for me. And again, I, I, I think the world of Amy Mann, um, I've seen Amy Mann in concert a few times. Um, this is, I really consider Magnolia an, an Amy Mann album that happens to include four or five other tracks. But this is an Amy Mann album, in my opinion, and this is my favorite Amy Mann album. And the only thing that I would disagree with you on. So, again, Save Me is a great song. Her cover of, of Nilsson is great. Uh, Wise Up. I mean, come on. Like, it, if you can't listen to Wise Up it without feeling the heartstrings pulled, I don't think you're a human being. But my favorite song on this soundtrack is Momentum. Yeah, man, I knew you were going to say it because it's in the way it happens in the movie too. the needle drop in the movie. God, it makes me so happy. Uh, it's, it's when John C. Riley is approaching Melora Walters apartment, it's exterior shot. And just the sound that happens mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the track is just so perfect. It's just so perfect. And then the way the horns come in there's this great shot of Laura Walters who's doing cocaine at the time. Like it, yeah. And the way, and it, and it, it's weird because it doesn't just play out in real time. It's intercut between other events that are happening, but it keeps coming back to the song. And it, because the song is so strong, the intercutting, you don't notice really that it's happening because it just, it, it just works. It, it's perfect editing. It's a fantastic song in the hands of just a absolute uh, master filmmaker who was, under 30 mm-hmm. made this movie it's bananas but another thing i want to say about magnolia and then rob i'll let you move on is that it's also this great moment w- with the soundtrack that really captures this great creative force or the, the group of people that were kind of happening in the 90s la largo scene mm-hmm. 
you know so with this album you have john bryan and amy mann and michael penn and in the movie you have that's directed by paul thomas anderson and uh fiona apple's like voices in it paul tom uh, paul f Tompkins is famously cut from the movie um, but Patton Oswalt is in the movie. So you have these comedians, filmmakers, musicians. There's just something happening in mid to late 80s or mid to late, in the mid to late 90s at Largo in LA that is just infectious and, and inspiring and fantastic. It's not what you thought when you first began. How fortuitous that you mentioned the Largo scene in Los Angeles as a way of talking about Magnolia, because my, my number two album, my number two soundtrack, um, in, in maybe when I was speaking in the, in the intro, disdain is not the appropriate thing to say. Um, but let's start here. I am a huge fan of bluegrass music. And and you tend not to be. And we've had this conversation about are there is there a bluegrass album you'd consider putting on? We've we've struggled, I think, even to kind of come see eye to eye on maybe some country albums to to put on. But for me, there was an album, there was a movie that came out in at the end of 2000, and an album that was released around that same time that became in 2001 a huge album it won the grammy in 2001 for album of the year i'm talking about the oh brother where art thou soundtrack Mm -hmm. um a collection of both new music um performed by great country and bluegrass artists um but my favorite thing is the collection of these very old um, whether they are hymns, whether they are folk songs, um, this collection of old Appalachian music that is performed either these very old 1920s, 1930s, very, you know, um, kind of grainy sounding recordings that you hear on the album, or you take these songs, these old songs, and you have them redone. Uh, by artists like Norman Blake, Allison Krauss, uh, Chris Thomas King, uh, Dan Tominski of Union Station, Jillian Welch, Emily Lou Harris. Um, I mean, you, you just have these uh, incredible artists that come together to really elevate um, a, a genre of music that I have such such great affinity for. Um, so the O oh Brother Wart that soundtrack in. This is an interesting movie 
this is one of those soundtracks where the soundtrack went much further than the movie did. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie, I think, was hard for people to know what to do with. The Oh Brother Where Art Thou is a Coen Brothers movie. Essentially, it is taking uh, the Odyssey, Homer's The Odyssey, and reimagining it through the American South of the 1920s. And that's essentially the picture that you're getting. And so the music, this, uh, this old Appalachian music, this old bluegrass music just feels so at home, uh, here. And, and really, you know, we've, we've talked in the course of this podcast, we've talked about jazz being a uniquely American music. And, and to a certain extent, because of that, we've talked about blues and in some ways, rock and roll, like there are all of these things in which, uh, the United States, America, and it's the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of its history have really created the setting and the context for this music to emerge. Um, I, I think what often gets forgotten about is, the combination of Scotch-Irish immigrants that ended up in the Appalachian Mountains that essentially took these, um, in in many ways, uh, British drinking songs and and brought uh, brought the religion of the Second Great Awakening to them. And you ended up with a very American, kind of uniquely um, kind of Southern picture of this style of music and it's it's one i have a great affinity for so oh brother where art thou is my pick and then my my pick for the best song would be uh it, it just an all an all vocal track um emily lou harris allison krauss and jillian welch together singing the song the the the, the folk song didn't leave nobody but the baby uh would be my choice for oh brother where art thou that's a great pick and a great trio too i mean doesn't get much better than that go to sleep you little babe go to sleep you little babe your mama's gonna wait and your dad's gonna stay don't leave nobody but the baby Go to sleep, you little babe. 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 Everybody's gone in the cotton and the corn. Didn't leave nobody but the babe. Your sweet little babe. Your sweet little babe. Your sweet little babe. Your sweet little babe. Rock and the sugar don't stop Gonna bring a bottle to the baby Go to sleep, you little baby Go to sleep, you little baby Come lay your bones on the alabaster stones And be my yellow-loving baby All right. Well, then we're, we're here. Right. We are. We have arrived at number one. What is your choice? Number one soundtrack. My number one soundtrack is the only one that I own on vinyl. And it's by a director who may be the most famous for how he uses music in terms of contemporary, you know, 
filmmakers um, is Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Uh, Death Proof kind of thought of as the worst Tarantino movie by his own admission. I think it's actually one of the best Tarantino movies. Um, a chapter of my master's thesis is dedicated uh, to this movie. Um, I think it's I think it's absolutely brilliant start to finish. Uh, and this soundtrack does everything I want a soundtrack to do. Um, I don't know that there's anything on the soundtrack that I had heard before I saw this movie. I don't think so. I mean, so it's great when a soundtrack can do that, can, can introduce you to a bunch of music that you hadn't heard before. And all of them are like, any one of these could be some of my favorite songs. You know, and that's, that, that's a good movie soundtrack to me. And of course, uh, most importantly for the movie, um, the music makes the scene just elevates it like entirely. Um, yeah, and it's another fun soundtrack because like other Tarantino soundtracks, he's also uh, barring the score from different movies. So there is some like, you know, there are tracks that are from a score, but they're not original compositions. They're from other older film scores, uh, which makes it very fun. And unlike other Tarantino movies, there are tracks that are just dialogue from the movie. Um, with the, the opening of the track, The Last Race, uh, by Jack Nietzsche from the movie Village of the Giants. It's perfect to me. Like uh, the the start the the start with the with the car starting and the the piano and the I mean it's just it's absolutely absolutely perfect. Man. That is a, that is a perfect track, perfect way to start the movie. It uh, wow, is it a good song to drive to? Um, yeah, it, it introduced me to T Rex and the song Jeepster. Mm-hmm. Um, down in Mexico by the Coasters, great uh, song. The lap dance sequence, a uh, great song. Uh, the 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 closing song, Chick Habit by April March, fantastic. The use of like the the music from Brian De Palma's Blowout, and there's some music used from uh, Morricone, uh, one from Bird with the Crystal Plume, which would actually didn't make it on the soundtrack, uh, but still very good. Um, but if I'm going to pick a favorite one and all of those that I've already mentioned could all qualify as my favorite, um, but hold tight by Dave D Dozy, Beaky, Mitch and Titch. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing beats it. I mean, it's just so good. And the way that it is used to build suspense up to this incredible moment of violence in the movie is just a masterful, masterful, uh, filmmaking.
if you had given me 20 guesses as to what your favorite soundtrack would be, that would not have been any of my guesses. And I, and I know how much you love the movie. Um, I would not have, I would not have guessed that, but, but once you say it, not surprising. Yeah. Speaking of not surprising, my (laughs) number one, my number one pick, um, we have talked about at least four times now in the course of the podcast. My number one pick for best soundtrack is from the movie Can't Hardly Wait. And uh, this is one of those ones where I, I kind of went back and forth, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to own it. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. Um, I love this movie. Uh, my, my wife will tell you that I regularly, this movie came out in 1998. I was 17 years old. Um, I saw this movie three times in the movie theater that summer when it came out. Um, I have owned the DVD of this. This is a movie I regularly watch at least once a year. I will quote this movie uh, often, but this is the movie soundtrack that most sounds like a mixtape I would have put together in my late high school, early college years. And because of the fact that uh, I am who I am, when I was uh, dating my wife, when I was first pursuing her and when we were dating, um, I would regularly make her mix CDs to the point where uh, once we were married, I realized that when we moved in together and we were putting, putting all of our CDs and records and everything together, I realized that I had to basically buy an entire like 120 uh, a CD case just to hold all the mix CDs I had made her over the year and a half that we dated prior to getting married. You could listen to any of those mix CDs and they would not sound that much different from, <laughs> from the Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack. But rather than going with the obvious pick of Can't Hardly Wait, uh, I'm going to stick with the song Farther Down by Matthew Sweet as my pick from the Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack. Yeah, for some reason I was like, "Oh, what's his, what's his number one gonna be?" And then like the moment you started teasing, I was like, "Oh, yeah, the doy." Like, of course, uh, the movie has come up an impressive amount of times on this podcast, and not by you, which is really the shocking part. No, it's a it's a great pick. I mean, the Busta Rhymes, Missy Elliott, mm-hmm. it, it, but like really close behind Everclear and Blink-182. I mean, it really is like a really great snapshot uh, of that time. And the people who grew up at that time would have been also listening to like Run DMC when they were younger. And at this point in their life, they're probably feeling, you know, you know, nostalgic enough to kind of look back a little bit. And uh, yeah, no, it's a great, great soundtrack, great pick. And it's another soundtrack that makes the right choices to on the soundtrack. Because mm-hmm. there are some movies that I left off like school of rock which has some of my favorite needle drops but then i look at the soundtrack and I'm like you made all the wrong choices yeah like you don't you don't have stay free by the clash you don't have roadrunner by modern lovers you don't you know like it's it's missing some of my all-time favorite needle drops and they're not there and can't hardly wait is one that has a lot of needle drops um, and really made the right choices when it came time to to put the soundtrack together Into you, so far the words go, so much. 
what was the hardest album for you not to include in this top five? Okay. This really hurt me because um, we set up so many rules. There was no possible way that I could actually include this one uh, because there was no official soundtrack release for it that I could find. I mean, I, I searched the internet everywhere and the best I could find was IMDb's like complete soundtrack list and then some Spotify playlist that had assembled them all. But my number one, and I think this is the best use of music like in a movie. I, I think this is the director who uses music the best. And that if, if Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson are any good at putting like pop songs into movies, it's because Scorsese did it the best right out the gate. I mean, you can you can look at uh, his first feature film in the 60s, Who's That Knocking at My Door, um, as like, wow, this guy's really onto something. And of course, Goodfellas. I mean, things like Boogie Nights do not exist without Goodfellas, the way music is used on stuff. But there's a, something roughly in the middle. Uh, it comes out in 1973. Uh, that to me is a perfect movie and it's mean streets uh mean streets opens with be my baby for one of the great opening tracks uh opening scenes um title opening title sequences of all time um the use of jumping jack flash by the rolling stones the slow motion shot of de niro coming into the bar with the lady on both arms right walking in slow motion, uh, the push-ins on Harvey Keitel, like so many trademark things that Scorsese does with the use of music, camera movement, lighting, uh, the the speed of the camera, or the speed of the film rather, right, are are all kind of happening in that one sequence. You really see who he is right there, where he's going. It's it's just this perfect moment uh, in cinema. But then you get these like wacky songs like um, uh, Rubber Biscuit by The Chips, that's just this really great thing. This like deep cut doo-wop track that would be forgotten if not for this great Scorsese movie. And, uh, you know, he's also very famous for having, you know, very violent scenes set to pop music. So like, please, Mr. Postman is in this movie. Um, And the way that the song is used, it's during like a brawl, but it fits. It's perfect. It's used perfectly, you know? And, uh, He's great. I, I love you so by the Chantels, who their song their song maybe is one of my all time favorite songs. And 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 I have to say that I, I've talked a lot about Phil Spector on you know on the on the podcast and my love for you know girl groups and stuff like that. And it it, it has to be because of Scorsese um, and his use of girl groups and um, that kind of pop and R and B rock and roll hybrid you know genre. Uh, his use of like, I mean, like the Shangri-Las, you know, so much of what I like is because I was exposed to it in his movies and how, uh, how epic a girl group song can make a mafia scene or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it shows you that this, that the, the, these songs are so good and so epic and powerful in their production that it can be used in any context. So this is going to be a harder question to ask because since there was no OST, there was no official soundtrack uh, released uh, of the movie. I'm really asking you, what is your favorite song used in the movie? 
which is again because of the rules we set up this this would have been an album this would have been a a movie you never could have chosen anyways because there isn't in an album soundtrack but if there was based on the songs that are in this movie what would be your one pick i'm gonna cheat a little bit and actually make three picks because i think be my baby is one of the best opening song choices of all time i think jumpin jack flash is used perfectly in that scene which i've already said before but i i would know those songs outside of this movie i don't need this movie to get to those songs um so but there's no chance that i would ever hear the song rubber biscuit by the chips if it weren't for this movie If you are kind of a, a classic fan of movie soundtracks, um, and Pitchfork recently just did a did a list of of their top fifty movie soundtracks, and not surprisingly, there's a bunch of Cameron Crowe movies that are included in that list. Now, Cameron Crowe started off his career started as as a very young music writer for Rolling Stone. Uh, the movie Almost Famous is kind of loosely autobiographical uh, for him. And Cameron Crowe is a director of movies like Singles, which has kind of a, a famous picture of grunge music in the early 90s in Seattle, uh, almost famous, like we've talked about already, which has uh, not just, you know, kind of five different versions that were released, but now has kind of a box set of all of the music that was that was in the album or in the movie. Cameron Crowe is a director that I like a great deal. And I really enjoy his movies. But whenever you're talking about the best soundtracks for Cameron Crow movies, I feel like it's normally just almost famous or singles. I actually think that there are two kind of lesser Cameron Crow movies with better soundtracks. And the first one is uh, Vanilla Sky, which is um, Cameron Crow's kind of remake of the Spanish movie uh, Open Your Eyes. But my favorite Cameron Crowe soundtrack and the hardest to leave off my list was the soundtrack to the movie Elizabethtown, a cute romantic comedy. It's a great movie, but it's a soundtrack that is perfect. It's a soundtrack that makes all of the right choices. um, And you get this incredible collection of songs. You get... uh, Elton John, maybe my favorite Elton John song, My Father's Gun from Tumbleweed Connection, or uh, the Ryan Adams song, Come Come Pick Me Up uh, from Heartbreaker. Uh, you get Patty Griffin doing Long Ride Home. You get Lindsey Buckingham doing Shut Us Down. Uh, you get uh, Jesus Was a Crossmaker by The Hollies, Square One by Tom Petty. Um, but you also get introduced to new artists. Uh, through this through this album 
And so uh, for me, this album actually became my first exposure to the band, My Morning Jacket. Um, they do Where to Begin on the soundtrack, and My Morning Jacket actually covers the uh, the famous Leonard Skinner song uh, that is in uh, that is performed in the movie. Um, introduced to a band called East Mountain South. And uh, my favorite thing about East Mountain South is you may not know or may not have heard of that band. East Mountain South was a, 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 a duo that existed for one album. And one half of that duo, Peter Bradley Adams, broke off to do his own career. And so East Mountain South was my first exposure to Peter Bradley Adams, who is one of my favorite artists today. And so the song Hard Times by East Mountain South on Elizabethtown uh, is such a great song and would be my pick for the Elizabethtown soundtrack. As someone who lives in Kentucky, I'll tell you now, Kentuckians hate this movie. They do not like it at all. And they can't even tell you because they're so angry about it. Like, why do you like it? And they just, just kind of, you know, just kind of like through their teeth, just kind of start growling. It's like, oh, okay, you know what? I touched a nerve. I'm just going to back down. They they just, they don't like Elizabethtown. Uh, Kentuckians are real particular about the way they're portrayed in their, in, in film and television. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they did not, they do not like it. It's very interesting to me. It's been a fun bonus episode to get to talk about our love of movies and our love of the music that we hear in movies. Uh, I want to leave our listeners with the highest selling movie soundtrack of all time. And I want to leave our listeners with the longest charting, highest selling single that came from a movie soundtrack. So we're going to leave you listeners with the, can I guess what it is? Go. Oh, please do. Is it staying alive? Not even close. Really? We're going to leave you now with the 1991 Whitney Houston cover. Of course. Of Dolly Parton's. And I will always love you from the bodyguard soundtrack. That's right. I forgot. I knew that too. Oh, bummer. So right, right in the high of that Bee Gees documentary If anyone hasn't seen it yet, go watch it It's good It is good It is good. Alright listeners, we'll see you back in two weeks With another bonus episode Enjoy Whitney Houston If I Should
I would only be in your way, so I'll go, but I know I'll think of you every step of the way. And I'm